Hey everybody, welcome to the Thursday, March 14th edition of Between the Horns. Miles Simmons here with DeMarco Farr, who is across the table from me. It is about noon on Thursday, March 14th, as I kind of just said that already. Right. Yeah. I'll um, try not to get too excited, Miles. Okay, yeah. Try not I'll to get too... I'll try not to move, Miles. <laughs> Good Lord. We're talking about the production value of the podcast before we got on the air here, and now DeMarco apparently wants to continue that. I was criticized. A little bit. Yes. Um, that's being fine. being too loud, too excitable. But we are now officially in the 2019 league year. And Happy New Year to Happy you. Happy New tomorrow. Year, sir. <laughs> but the Rams have made a couple moves um, to defend their division and conference title from 2018. So we've got some arrivals, some people who are returning, and then, of course, departures in the free agency market. But let's start with safety, Eric Weddle, who signed a two-year deal. Kind of really, it's a one-year deal plus an option year for 2020. Um, but he signed that earlier this week. I like Weddle. Yeah? I like watching him play. Good safety, you know, smart guy, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, uh, always where he needs to be. Um, you know, you can tell, for me, I can tell a good safety by the angles he takes to the football. He takes great angles to the ball. He knows where the cutoff point is. He knows where his help is coming from. And it always seems after every single play, he is congratulating everyone around you. And that's that's the stuff that makes you great, if you ask me. It makes you a great team guy. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the things that really stood out in his press conference on, uh, that was Tuesday morning, when he was talking about just how much of a team guy he is. And I think Jim Hill asked the question, like, oh, you know, you do, you, you have semantics that, you know, you, you're on the field, you know, you do some kind of crazy stuff on the field, whatnot. But he said, you know, I don't ever try to take away from what my teammates are doing. And I get really excited when my teammates make a really good play, and that's who I am. I'm, I'm a team guy. I want the team to have as much success as possible. Yeah, he puts pressure on you as a, as a player, man. When you make a play, I mean, you might be thinking like, hi, mom, or, you know, let me find my girl in the stands, and he, he's coming for a high five. And you <laughs> have to give him the high five, or you'll make him feel bad. But no, I mean, that's that esprit de corps. That's stuff that keeps everybody excited on the field. Uh, no matter what, it's about us, it's about what we do, and we made a play. Uh, it just keeps the we in everything. And it's easy for I to slip in. You know, and once I start slipping in, then you start to have problems on offense and defense, and sometimes you you really can't correct those, and you end up with a loss, and you have to figure out on Monday what went wrong. But with guys like Weddle, it just keeps the we into everything at all times. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, you talk about the we, right? So we, not me. That's what we know that the Rams' biggest slogan is. And so I thought it was interesting when Sean McVay and Eric Weddle were talking at that Tuesday press conference, and really they said that, you know, it was, I think Weddle said this, it was almost like talking to myself when I was talking to Sean McVay because we just You're speak the same, the same <laughs> 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 we speak the same language um, in terms of football yeah. and like building a team and culture and things like that. No, I, no doubt. I mean, look, he's, he's the right guy. You can tell how excited they were. And I thought less need when he said, let's just pause a minute to tell you I've never had this happen. I had four other agents call up and tell you, congratulations, this is a great guy. Um, that's what it's all about. I heard Nick Foles say the same thing in Jacksonville. Hmm. Signs a big deal, going to a new team. He's going to be the starter, but he said the most important thing to him is locker room relationships. It is. That's the important thing. Uh, we're trying to get from A to Z. Uh, Z is the Super Bowl, but for players, it's that Z could be different. I'm just trying to help you get to your best. It seems like that's what he's here to do. That's why he's been in the league so long. So it's a smaller... A more current version of Andrew Whitworth. The same thing he brought to the football team, or at least on the offensive side, I think Weddle is going to bring to the defensive side. I think that's a really good comp, and it's something that both Sneed and I think McVay did this too. They brought that up, that, you know, you're going to have somebody in Eric Weddle who can still play at a high level, but he's also going to impart that knowledge on the younger guys that are on the team, that are on the squad, and that's going to set the Rams up for success for years to come, very similarly to what um, Andrew Whitworth has done on the offensive oh, side. no doubt. And I, I remember these, uh, I don't want to call them arguments because we don't argue, uh, debates with J.B. Long on the back of the plane, back of the bus, uh, when we're just future casting, we're on our way to a game, so our focus is on that game. And, but when we get on the plane, we might have that 15 minutes just to talk about the future. Hey, what about next year? Uh, would you re-sign this guy? All this sort of stuff. And I remember us getting stuck on LaMarcus Joyner a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I need to have him back. He is so important to the defense, yada, yada, yada. Um, he just was kind of, okay, we'll just, you know, prepare you know, he's going to be a free agent. He's probably not going to be here. So what does that mean? Well, 
having an Eric Weddle makes that a whole lot easier. No doubt. You don't lose that much back there, you know, with LaMarcus being gone. That that is a great transition to have. Um, the same smart plays, the the same attention to detail is still going to be there. You know what I mean? Yes. So the position doesn't suffer. And you don't hurt the guys around him, like JJ, like the corners. So I think it's a great addition to the football team on the field and in the locker room. Yeah, I, I don't want to take away anything from what Lamarcus Joyner was yeah. doing, but I think when you have a, a veteran like Eric Weddle, who, you know, I got the chance to talk with John Johnson just a bit because he was at the facility on Tuesday. And what he was talking about is that, you know, he's watched Eric Weddle for a very long time, you know, going back to his middle school days. I think he even said, you know, you watch a guy like that because he can do it all, right? You know, mm-hmm. he can come up and, and hit you in the backfield and really play the run well and he can play the pass very well go sideline to sideline he does a lot of things to disguise coverages mm-hmm. and John Johnson was saying you know that's the kind of stuff that I want to be able to pick his brain with I want to learn from him because that's the kind of safety that I want to be somebody who can really do it all you know I, I see some Ed Reed in Weddle and where he lines up and how he disguises I see a lot of Palomalo in him okay you know because he can do it all and his body type uh, if he can help JJ get there then great. Uh, then you could add 10 million more bucks to his contract. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously, because it's, it's only going to help the defense get better. But uh, I, I think you have a chance to be special uh, when you think of John Johnson III or when you think when you're playing nickel, if you have Nickel Roby Coleman and those three guys out there covering that slot receiver, those tight ends that back out of the backfield. I mean, that's, that's going to be pretty tough for any quarterback to fool. That's a lot of experience coming at you. Now, you may lose a little bit in terms of oomph because LaMarcus brought it. He's a hitter. That's what he is. But in terms of overall knowledge of the game and coverage of the field, I think you might have grown. Well, yeah, and I think pairing Eric Weddle with an Aqib Tlaib, mm-hmm. and you have, you combine their knowledge of different offenses, different things. There's probably not much that those two guys have not seen, just in terms of how long they've been in the league, right? It's probably right. hard to fool those two particularly. No, I think there's going to be a lot of help. It's going to be tough for the quarterbacks. I mean, really, when you when you have safeties you can't look off or safeties you can't get draw a beat on, uh, eventually you're going to be wrong or you're going to overthrow, underthrow, and they're going to get it or it's going to be a big hit or they're going to be there at the intersect point so it's not necessarily big explosions you're looking for out of Weddle the way he plays safety but what you do look for is a guy that's always at the intersect point to where the ball is getting to the man either he's there before just when it hits or just a smidge after so the guy goes nowhere after the catch you know what I mean yes that is textbook free safety play what I thought was so interesting um Sean McVay noted that when he was in Baltimore and Lesney initially told the story right at the press conference but when the Rams were in Baltimore for those preseason practices and the Eric Weddle was on the field Sean McVay said that you know you can really get a feel for how Weddle is communicating with the rest of the defense and how what he can do what he can do to disguise different things Things, how he can really kind of predict some things that are going to come from an offensive standpoint. And so Sean McVay was saying, you know, he's looking forward to picking Eric Weddle's brain so that he gets better as an offensive coach ah, from something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. Download him. Absolutely. Yeah. What am I seeing? What am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, these are the guys you're trying to fool for the most part. The guys Jared Goff is trying to fool. Right. So what are you looking at? What's giving this play away? What's what's the tell here? How can we make this better? It makes the offense better and it also helps the defense. I'm, I'm with you. And also you can can't forget 99 and Fowler. Uh, you've got two really good pass rushers. If you can get that quarterback to hold it for a beat because he can't fool the guy, good. That's a painful lesson. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If you hold it, you get nailed. Uh, if you throw it too soon, they could pick it. So it only makes the defense that much better. Well, you just made a perfect segue into our next guy in Dante Fowler because Dante Fowler is now back on a one-year deal for the Rams. Kind of a prove-it deal, would you say? I mean, based on the things that have come out about this? 12 million miles. I think he's but, proven something at $12 million. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. But also, but, I mean, it's not as much as you would have gotten on the franchise tag. True. And there are, from what I've read, about $2 million worth of incentives that he can earn in order to bring that contract up a little bit more so that essentially it's almost like he's on the fifth-year option yeah. of what would have been his rookie deal, which Jacksonville decided to decline before they traded him to the Rams. Well, it's right in line with, uh, regardless of what you say on Twitter about people listening to this show or following us on Twitter and making decisions. The people that make decisions, do they listen to the show or follow us on Twitter? I don't know. I'm just saying, the last between the horns we said, I think it was something along the lines of 15 million is a lot 
to see if a guy can be a 16-game starter. Yes, we did say that. Yeah. Uh, we said literally that. Yeah, yes. I, I, I said I think he can be something special, but I, I, I need to see it for a year. Yes. I think one year, $12 million, Yes. Uh, I think it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's premium for an elite pass rusher, but it's still a one-year deal. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's team-friendly, player-friendly. I think everybody's happy. Now we'll see what he's really has to offer, has to offer as a pass rusher. How much do you think being with the team through the off-season program can help him? Oh, huge, man. I mean, look, it's it's tough to come in as the guy. Um, you have to ingratiate yourself to a new locker room. You don't know anyone, um, so you don't know who to f- be friends with, so you're kind of isolated. Um, it's it's always easier when you get on the field, but then when you're the new guy, you're just playing your game and trying to keep up with everyone else. So you're going to be a step slower, but if you start from day one and you gel with everyone around you, the terminology, what's going on, the pace of play, where I can take my shots, uh, my freelance plays, when I can do those, when I can't. If you know those, say, in April, May, June, well, come September, they're going to be second nature. You don't think about it, and you play faster. Right. And that was Fowler trying to figure it out, what we saw at the end of the year. Now imagine that sped up. I think that's worth 12 mil. I I, I would agree with you, but I think also we saw him really kind of I think we saw what he can be in the postseason, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you think about all the different plays that he made, and Sean McVay brought this up. He made some great plays against the run in the Super Bowl, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everybody obviously knows the big hit he had on Drew Brees in uh, the NFC Championship game. The ball floats up, JJ catches it, interception, etc. But I think that over the course of the season, you could see he got better and got more comfortable the more he played. And what was really interesting is. He really hadn't played that many snaps just mm-hmm. since college, right? I mean, this is a guy who tore his ACL in rookie minicamp back when he got drafted in 2015, and then he never really was a starter until he got to Los Angeles. Right. So now there's I There's a think, lot left. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely a lot left, and, you know, I remember talking to him in the locker room, and he was saying how excited he was just to be able to play. So now it's not just, you're not just playing, you're really knowing what the defense is. And I think it just goes back to what you were saying, right? Yeah. You, you have all that stuff in your brain before, it, it, and it becomes second nature even before September. No doubt. Uh, it's it's funny watching him make plays. Uh, the guy made plays, run and pass, right? Especially versus the run. He was particularly violent, and I loved it against yes. the run. Yes. But the look on the, the his teammates' faces, like, wow, you can make that play? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, now that I know, I can play this way. When they bring this same sort of personnel group or this same sort of play towards me, I know you can do that now. Now I can play off you, and we can make this solid. Same thing with Aaron way back when, when you used to see eyes get big when he'd make these big plays. Well, now it's routine. Sure. Yeah, when you when you see Aaron do something special on the field, the guys that are least shocked are the guys that are lining up with him. Oh, well, he does that all the time. But you can now play off him. I think that's what Fowler being here for the long term gives everyone else around him. Now you know what he can do. Now you know how to play off him, and it only makes it better. How do you think that pairing with Aaron Donald and Dante Fowler has has gelled? I mean, just from what we've seen, because a lot of times, you know, you talk about the the top edge rusher is often paired with the three technique mm-hmm. because those guys get to play off of each other because they're often on different sides. Um, okay, this is funny. Okay. Now, I think it, it's best if they work opposite. In an obvious passing down, because right. you can only slide one way. Sure. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. Yes. if yes. you're bringing the heat to Aaron, that leaves Fowler one-on-one. But in some cases, when you say you're on the road and you've got a set of pigeons out there, a bad left guard and a bad left tackle, a you know what I mean? A set of pigeons. set of pigeons. A couple of turnstiles. Well, okay, <laughs> then just work together over here. You know, it's going to be a bunch of speed rushes. But the last thing I want to do is get in each other's way, because you're so creative rushing the passer that I bet... They couldn't tell you which direction or which gap they're hitting until they did it. Hmm. That's just their genius. So make sure they're not canceling each other out and put them opposite each other. It just makes it tougher on the offense. See, and that, that I think, is something that you have to figure out kind of during training camp, going back to minicamp OTAs, things like that, basically, where it's not – where especially if you're going against a Sean McVay offense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can try to figure those things out – in that setting so that you're not figuring them out on game day in week nine. True. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, when you do pass rush in mini camp and then training camp and then fall camp, what have you, you're always going to pick your best side. So you're going to get to see that if you're Aaron Donald watching Fowler. Well, yes. if he could pick, he'd rather rush there. You know what I mean? 
or Fowler could say for Aaron, well, if he could pick the side that he'd like to rush over, he's going to pick here. So all that comes, it just makes you better watching the other guy work. You just have a chance to gel. You know what he's going to do and you know what you're about. And let's see if you can bring those together to bring heat on the quarterback. Right, right. So I, I really thought that this was an interesting signing, mainly because I wasn't sure if it was going to happen because I – Especially when it happened, you know, the fact that they reached the agreement Sunday night just before the legal tampering period started. So that's where, in theory, Dante Fowler could have heard, you know, from his agent, from a lot of other different teams. And then they say, you know, okay, Dante, we're going to pay you X amount of money for this amount of years and da 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 da. And he didn't even really get to that point. What do you think it was about? the Rams that made him say, actually, I don't even need to hear it. I want to $12 million. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, really like how, how much money can I, can I show you to get you to not pick up the phone to disconnect your service? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you show me 12 million that shows you. I, I, I like you. I really value as a player. So there's room for you here. There's room to grow and it's only a one year deal. So it's kind of a no brainer on both sides. Okay. Yeah. You keep your best edge rusher, in your uniform, and if you're a guy like Fowler, well, it's one year, twelve million, and I get back to the table next year. How do you say no to that? Sure, <laughs> right. with another couple million dollars worth of incentives. Yes, which you are likely to hit because the Rams are a very good team, right? Right. Unless something catastrophic happens and they take a few steps back, which yeah. I don't see happening. You know, I never took him as you know a dumb guy. <laughs> no, I, haven't, I haven't either. I mean, he's very, very smart. You, you're on a team with an offense that scores thirty points a game. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is where you want to rush the passer. <laughs> I think this is where you want to be on a one year twelve. Yeah, this makes this makes good sense. I mean, yeah. it, but it, that's just the Rams and many free agents right now. It, it yeah. seems like. I mean, Eric Weddle talked about how once he learned that the Rams were truly, truly interested in him, he went here first instead of here last. Right. Because this is, it's a good team. It's got a good young core. It's a winning franchise right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in Los Angeles, which is definitely appealing. As you all like to say, you get to play on grass eight times a year. You know, because you're in the Coliseum for right now, there are a lot of appealing things about the Los Angeles Rams on paper for free agents. You were out there for that inner squad practice with the Ravens, right? Yeah. Remember how hot it was in camp? Oh, it was awful. Yeah. I was make a, awful. I'd make a beeline here too if I was <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you want me? Yeah, I'll be on the next plane. The, the yeah. humidity there was actually oh, atrocious. Yeah. Um, but one guy who probably will not be back as we talk about defense would be Indomitian Sue. Yeah. So Sneed said the other day that he will likely be out of the Rams price range in order to resign. He said that we are projecting that to be the case. Now, and as we speak right now, and it's about 1230 today um, on two, on Thursday, March 14th, I have not really seen that many rumors of where Sue could be. So who knows? You know, maybe it ends up down the road that Sue comes back. But what do you think the Rams have to do to replace him? Oh, God. You mean like a direct replacement? You well, you can't. You can't. No, yes. The, the guy's a monster. Um, I It's funny. I, I saw uh, when Gretzky came to town for a year in St. Louis. Right. So that was something special, seeing that on TV, uh, admiring from afar and then getting to see it up close. Sure. Wow. He is as good as he looks on TV. Same thing with Sue. You know, when you saw him here for that one year, like he's big, he's strong, he's mean, he's this. And he was every bit of that when he got here. He was that guy. So um, you kind of knew he was going to be too expensive to sign. Maybe he'll have a change of heart and say, I want to come back at this rate. But. Uh, if you have to replace him, I think some of the guys are already here. Here's a guy that we never mentioned. Now, he's been riding for two seasons and hasn't really played that much. Who? Tanzel Smart. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's a guy that's been in your system. He knows it. He knows about Don. He knows everything we talked about when we talked about Fowler. Sure, yeah. He knows how to play with these guys. He knows what they're about. So there's a guy that could be getting more reps. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, I, I see him walking with Franklin Myers before the game, and they're both huge and young. How do you get both of those guys on the field at the same time? Well, this might be your best opportunity. So there is no direct replacement. 
But there are some candidates in a rotational basis that can fill that spot. Yes. They're already here. I, I would agree with that. And I thought it was interesting, and I wish I could remember off the top of my head, which if it were Sneed or McVay who said this, I think it was Sneed. But he said that there's some position flexibility with Michael Brockers, that you can also put him at nose tackle. And now it's something that the Rams have not really done since, I want to go back to like week four of 2017 mm-hmm. against Dallas. That's when I feel like they started playing him at the five technique, and, and Brockers is mostly been there since then, unless we're talking about obvious passing downs where Brockers would shift inside to the nose and et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I think if we're talking about that base three, four, there is a chance that, you know, you get a guy like Brockers, you put him at the nose and maybe you put John Franklin Myers at the five, or, you know, maybe it's Sebastian Joseph Day that plays the nose or Tanzel Smart that plays the nose. There are options. And I agree with you that can help replace that production from Dominican Sue. But the biggest thing you're you're not going to replace is just his snap count, right? Like he's yeah. on the field for 80 to 90% of the defensive snaps basically every game. And that's kind of unheard of for defensive linemen. And the Rams had two linemen that did it last year in Sue and Aaron Donald. He's out there all the time. <laughs> you know, he's out there because he can and you can't get him off. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Brock has played, I remember when Brock was the three before Aaron came in and then they had to flop Brock to the interior position to let Donald rush the passer on the outside of the guard. So he can do it. And I'm sure he would accept that role just like he accepted the five. Yes. Uh, The five, you're not going to make a ton of plays out there. You know, uh, if the defense gets off the field in three plays and you don't make a play, you've done your job. Yes. Yeah. Same thing with nose. So uh, every now and then, the game is going to be on your shoulders. More often than not, it's not going to be. But if you play a bad game, it's really going to stand out. If you play a great game, probably no one's going to notice except your coordinator. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's a tough world to live in when one guy is getting all the credit for making big plays and you're not. But you may be the most important person on the field, but only your coordinator is the guy saying congrats for it. Well, I think we kind of saw that, and again, as we go back to the 2017 season, but mm-hmm. think about that Atlanta playoff game, right, where oh, yeah. Brockers goes out, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the Falcons are able to run it down the field. And why? Well, because your five technique is gone. Big Brock is over there. Yeah. Yeah, he's on the bench yeah. instead of being on the field. So, um, you know, he, look, he's it's, it's, it's tough for me to tell people he's actually gotten better, but for what he was asked to do, and – what he needed to do to be successful, I thought he was every bit as dominant as anybody else we just talked about. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he was really, really violent with his hands. He was really, really explosive when need uh, when he needed to be. Now, the only thing I could say is get started a little earlier in the game. Hmm. Yeah. In the fourth quarter, he's throwing people around. Start the game that way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's something that I think we can definitely monitor. Um, here's a rumor I saw today. Clay Matthews is apparently interested in the Rams, and the Rams may have some interest in him as well. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said that. Now, DeMarco, you are smiling, which nobody else can see but me (laughs) in the studio. Big time, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, man. I mean, why is there a no with Clay Matthews? Well, I don't know. Okay, I just why, why is this a bad thing? Like I don't think it's a bad it, thing. I at just all. I, I just, just want to know what your thoughts are. I just feel like you know the 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 pundits and the the bloggers are ready to pounce on this because he's older. So <laughs> right, I mean, the, as long as he can still make plays, I mean, I think and he it, still can. Right, it yeah. kind of to me it depends on what he's asked to do. Right, I mean, like, I, and for a guy like him, my thought would be all right. You probably want him to to rush the passer on third downs. No doubt. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't I don't know, but that would be, like, the obvious thing to me. He does the same thing as Samson Ebicom. Right. That's the same position. That's what you would ask him to do. Uh, be good in run support, and when it's time to rush the passer, rush the passer. Sure. You may have to drop every now and then and cover a guy. It's the same position. Yes. Yeah, and he's one of the best at it. So if you have a chance to add – to add just 50% of his game, hey, we're bringing you off the bench to rush the passer, I would take that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Uh, that's the interesting thing, I think, right now, pass rushers. It seems like, you know, those guys are kind of like going with quarterbacks is as long as you're just a specialist, you can keep doing this for a very long time, right? Like Terrell Suggs now signing a one-year deal in Arizona. That's somebody the Rams are going to have to deal with. That's scary. Yeah, it is, yeah. isn't it? Scary. It sure is. Yeah. But another guy like Julius Peppers, who seemed to be playing for 100 years, and he just retired in Carolina. Dwight Freeney, another guy that comes to mind, who kept going, you know, one-year yeah. deals, and he's coming off, and he's rushing the passer still at a high level. You can so. be a mercenary mm-hmm. if you can rush the passer. Yeah, I mean, look, 
Like Suggs. I'm glad you brought him up. Suggs in Arizona can still bring in eight sacks last year, right? If you pair him with Chandler Jones, you've got issues as an offense. Oh, goodness. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Wow. Um, but it's not just his technique or his moves that beat you. He understands protection. He understands where who is trying to block him and how and what you're trying to do and how he can disrupt that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Same thing with Clay Matthews. Uh, how he can just disrupt when you're sliding protection towards Aaron. If you want a guy that can definitely take advantage of a slide going away from him, it would be Clay Matthews. Mm. Oh, really? You're going to bring the world that way and bring this guy on me? I'll beat it. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's that's how he's made his career. Right. That's and how I Kevin Green got to the, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, it, to me, it sounds like the same kind of things that we were talking about with Eric Weddle, right? You just you if a guy has experience and can still play, it puts him in a different class almost because you can use that experience against another offense. Yeah, you're here. I mean, you're you're building a team to beat Seattle. Mm-hmm. You're building a team to beat San Francisco, right? Just like they're building to beat you. So that's your division, and that's where you have to start because you play them twice a year, right? So. Yeah, I mean, if any ways you can find to get more pressure on Russell Wilson, you do it. Just like any way you can find any way possible to get more pressure on Jared Goff, you do it. Look at the 49ers, look at Arizona right now. Yes. Yeah, you have to get heat. Um, If you can find those mercenaries that are available for the right price, bring them in. Yes, yes, no doubt about it. Um, I do want to talk, hit this before we talk about one guy who is no longer with the team, Um, the restricted free agents. So the Rams tendered all four of their restricted free agents, three with the original round slash right of first refusal tender, and then one with the second rounder. So to go through those quickly, Troy Hill, an undrafted free agent, he's got right of first refusal, Malcolm Brown. Brown, running back, he also is an undrafted free agent, has right of first refusal. Uh, Blake Countess, though, safety, when he receives the original round tender, he was actually a sixth-round pick by the Eagles, so if he signs an offer sheet and the Rams decline to match it, that team would owe the Rams a sixth-round pick. And then Corey Littleton, the starting middle linebacker for the Rams and defensive signal caller, received a second-round tender. So that is really to dissuade you know teams from being like, all right, we want to sign him to an offer sheet because a second-round pick is kind of a high price to pay for a guy who is one year as a starting middle linebacker. And he was undrafted as well, right? Yes, correct. So three undrafted. of those guys were undrafted. Yes. And here they are still in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that scouting department, don't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who do I mean, some guys it just takes a little bit longer to, you know, I guess reach their potential, but all three guys have been so important. Uh Troy Hill was four, four guys, excuse yeah. me. Um yeah. Troy Hill was so important to this football team as a once as a starter and then as a spot duty backup, you know, you're the next guy up if we lose a guy and we're going to count on you just as much as we count on the other guy. So important. We don't have to talk about Malcolm Brown anymore. We love him. How many times have we talked about Malcolm Brown in this room? I think we've talked about Malcolm Brown in this room a lot, but it's interesting to me that, you know, I don't think people understand just how good Malcolm Brown was. And I think that's almost, yes. Well, I I mean, was in the context of the 2018 season, right? Like 4.9 yards per carry as a backup is very good. That means that when you brought him in, he's essentially getting five yards a pop. That's why you didn't necessarily miss Todd Gurley when he was on the sidelines for the, at that time, 15% of the time that he was. So I mean that in the sense that when Malcolm Brown was injured, he was playing about 15% of the offensive snaps. And mm-hmm. that was before Todd Gurley got hurt, et cetera, et cetera. So I th- to me, I think the Rams don't necessarily need to bring back C.J. Anderson if Malcolm Brown is healthy. And I don't know that many people really realize that, especially with the amount of questions that, you know, I get and probably you get. And, you know, in press conferences, even, you know, to Les Snead, Sean McVay, what do you think about bringing back C.J. Anderson, et cetera, et cetera. If you have a guy like Malcolm Brown who has proven that he can do that kind of production, do you need C.J. Anderson? No, probably not. No. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, and if, I don't, if I don't he didn't mean to get hurt, away. he wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened. Exactly. Yeah. And Les Snead said that the other day. And yeah. I don't mean to say that to take away from anything that C.J. Anderson brought because he, performed, he yeah. performed very, very well, I thought, especially in those two regular season games. And, you know, he was good in pass protection. He, you could see that he brought some veteran leadership to the squad just based on the fact that he'd been to the Super Bowl before. But, again, I, yeah. I feel... I would feel very good about the running back situation with Todd Gurley backed up by Malcolm Brown next year. Funny. I was actually disappointed 
and happy at the same time when C.J. Anderson was carving up these defenses at the end of the year. Sure. I was happy, right? But I was disappointed that it wasn't Malcolm. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You're right. I mean, wow, this should have been him if he didn't get injured. And I looked at my notes on Malcolm Brown before we came here, and they're, they're all the same. It's the same thing. The guy runs – he is the most disciplined running back probably I've ever seen. Hmm. When you say 34-whatever, that's exactly the hole he's running through. You know what I mean? Yes. He is – I think he'd be a 1,000-yard back as a, as a starter. I, I mean, I mean, just an explosive type, you know, run downhill back, and I think he's the perfect backup to Todd Gurley. You know, slash and dash, whatever names you want to come up with, I think he is absolutely perfect. He does not give the defense a chance to breathe. Right. And that's the most important thing – if you're going to have a backup running back, you can't give the defense a chance to breathe just because, you know, the league's leader in touchdowns is not on the field. And if you look at what the Rams were able to do with both of those guys through the first, uh, I guess, 13, 14 weeks of the season, because mm -hmm. he went out against Detroit, that's to me is what it showed. And Malcolm Brown played a really, really important role on special teams as well. So... I, I don't know. I mean, we had the argument the last time about Todd Gurley and his knee, and I don't really know. And I was right. I don't want to have that conversation <laughs> again because we've had it enough times. Um, but I will tell you this, that Sean McVay talked about, you know, the definition of arthritis. Basically said exactly what I was saying on the podcast. What do you say? Like he, when somebody asked him, what is the definition, you know, does Todd Gurley have arthritis in his knee? And Sean McVay shot back, well, I shouldn't say shot back. He asked back. Well, do you know what the definition of arthritis is? And the room kind of went silent, which was interesting. But I, I actually, I have the quote right here that McVeigh said that I thought was interesting. So McVeigh goes, when I start to get into the specifics, I don't know exactly medically when you what you categorize what arthritis is, but I've never seen a guy on the medical report, on the injury report with that. And I think if you said, is there a wear and tear? Was there a pounding that that knee took? Absolutely. So. Yeah, right. Here we are. Does what are that you trying to say with that? I'm trying to say that I'm staying consistent on oh. what I've been saying, and you don't get an apology as we go back <laughs> to the conversation. That's a long way episode. around saying you're not going to apologize. Yep. Um, <laughs> no, I, the guy is at the end of the roster as well. Um, John Kelly, I'm looking forward to his next shot at it um, because that's also a reason C.J. Anderson showed up here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you weren't ready at the back end of the running back room. So uh, hopefully with an offseason, he'll get better. So uh, we'll see. I, look, I, I hope Malcolm Brown has a chance to stay. Um, I hope he has a chance to continue his career because if not here, then whoever gets him, you're getting a hell of a running back. Yes, yeah. no no doubt about it at all. Um, so I also want to touch on these exclusive rights free agents. So Kaderil Hodge, JoJo Natson, Kevin Peterson, Dominique Hatfield, Morgan Fox – all were tendered, and that basically means that they will be with the Los Angeles Rams for the 2019 season. Um, specifically with Morgan Fox and Kevin Peterson, though, I, I think if those guys are healthy and they had season-ending knee injuries during the off-season program and training camp, I think those can be really important depth pieces. Oh, no You know, no we talk yeah. about Morgan Fox. He looked like he was going to take a real step forward back in OTAs before he suffered the, the knee injury. And I thought Kevin Peterson was having an outstanding training camp before he tore his ACL um, yeah. against the Ravens in that preseason. Morgan game. Fox is a slippery SOB rushing the passer. Mm -hmm. And you can delete that if you need to. But he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is slippery as all get out when he rushes. I mean, he is really, really good at what he does. And he's stronger at the point of attack than than he looks sure he, yeah i mean he plays and he's quick uh if he can't outpower you he'll slide to the side and beat you up field kind of like 99 does mm -hmm. uh so uh, another guy matt longacre same thing very technical um he has a funny way of being one of the best guys around cut time huh. like i just can't let you go yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean he's that sort of guy so um had he stayed healthy, who knows where he, what he would have done and where he would have lined up and how much he would have played. But I bet he would have been in the mix at some point last season. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, that was part of why the Rams had to continue to address the outside linebacker position because he was almost in position to be a starter. Mm -hmm. You know, after they allowed Cardin Barwin to go into free agency, didn't re-sign him, you know, he was line taking those starters reps during the offseason program. So, you know, I, we don't know what would have happened, obviously. Right. Um, and the Rams ended up okay, clearly, as they went to the Super Bowl. But 
I I think that there's something that he can really add. Oh, I, I just no. I think about the the preseason game from 2016, week four, but that was the Morgan Fox coming when he out went party. berserk. Yeah, he had yeah. three sacks. On, yeah. I guess it was Sage Rosenfels. Yeah, yeah. maybe in, unless I'm or uh, oh no, it was the it was one of the other guys from. Um, Joe Joel Stave, I think, was the guy. Oh, really? Got three. Goodness. What's his name again? My. <laughs> what the heck is going on with your watch? I, my watch just apparently picked up the fact that I said from preseason week four oh, wow. in 2016, and See? then it started talking about MLB games. We're getting too advanced. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> See what I mean? I don't know why that happened. It's going to turn on your blender for you. Watch. It probably could. It probably did already. Yeah. Yeah. Your car's gone. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go, go, gadget ring. Uh, right. No, but I mean, yeah. uh, the thing that I always liked about Fox, you, you can tell he's happy to be here and he wants to be a pro. Sure. But when he makes plays, he's not shocked by it mm. because he's done this before. When he was in college, the guy was dominant. You know, he was the guy. He was the Aaron Donald in college. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, yes, yes. He was yes. a dominant guy. So it's it's not surprising to him when he wins a, a rep or, or beats a guy off a block to, to make a tackle. So that I do like. So stay together. <laughs> Don't fall apart. You'll have a chance to be a depth guy, and then when you get on the field, make something happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one guy I definitely do want to mention, though, is Roger Saffold. Shout out to Big Roger Raj. Saffold. Yeah. Going to the Tennessee Titans, signed a four-year de- four deal, excuse me, easy for me to say, with Tennessee. So he will now be paired up with Taylor Lewan on the left side of that line, and ooh, baby, that's going to be not fun for defenses <sighs> when you've got to tackle Derrick Henry and you've got to compete with those two guys. Um. When you watch people on film, they're either good or bad, regardless of how you feel about a guy, right? Mm-hmm. Personally. Yes. Um, Roger's going to force me to like Taylor Lewan. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Tremendous athlete, great tackle, wish you had him. You know what I mean? Like, wow. That guy, like, when you think left tackle, you look at him, right? Yeah. But just all the other stuff drives me nuts. So maybe all the other stuff will kind of... Go away now that Roger's next to him. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Or maybe Roger becomes that guy. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just become have a goal the whole time in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, why not? And look, the guy's earned it. Um Roger, how many times has Roger knocked on death's door, NFL wise? Probably far too many for, you know, one guy that um you would like to count. Yeah. So here you are and you're making eleven mil per. I think so. Yeah. Um well deserved, brother. You've earned it. No yeah, doubt. good for you. Yes, yeah. no doubt about it. And one one of the great guys of the Rams locker room, obviously, had been the longest tenured Ram, which that distinction now goes to Jake McQuaid. Crazy. Yeah. It's always the long snapper. Always the long snapper, Always right? the long snapper. It's funny, and they'll never teach you how to long snap. No, they will not. I, I, I dare you. Ask him when you see him next. Ask him to teach you how to long snap. No way. See the look he gives you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it probably wouldn't be very kind. Yeah. Uh, but on the, on, the, on a personal note, I, I do. I'm, I'm really happy for Roger. Happy. It's obviously bittersweet because mm-hmm. when you get to know a guy and he's been around here for much longer than I have, you know, it, it's he was always one that would answer the questions. And even in, you know, the roughest times, I think about 2016, and, you know, we got to get something out of the locker room. The Rams have lost their fifth, sixth game in a row, and it's so frustrating. And you could see it on his face, you know, something had to change. And it, it's it's nice when a guy like that is around for the turnaround, and you wish they could have finished it off in the Super Bowl. But, you know, I, I just I, I wish Roger Saffold all the best. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's more of the McVeigh effect. You know, watching Roger do the press conference in Tennessee, that was weird. With the Tennessee logo behind him. It was. It was just odd. This doesn't make sense. I guess I have to get used to this. But it seems like that's been happening a lot with people that come through here. You either get a head coaching job or you get get paid big money. You know what I mean? So, I mean... That's what happens when you win. You you lose good coaches. You lose good players. You do. Yeah. You do. Um, but so now without uh, Roger Saffold and John Sullivan, the option being declined, you're gonna have to integrate two new starters onto this offensive line. And mm-hmm. as of right now, you know Snead and McVay were saying that that would be Note Boom at left guard, and then Brian Allen at center. So yeah, the, you've had those guys in the system for a year, and in theory, you would think that you would like them to be able to step up like an Austin Blythe did, who was in the system for a year, practiced with the first-team offensive line on Wednesdays, things like that, just like those rookies did in this last year, you would like to think that they can be really productive OLs just like Austin Blythe was in 18. On the way over again, it's a long drive. It is a long drive for you. Um, 
I wouldn't be shocked if those guards were flopped. Really? I wouldn't be surprised at all if you put Blythe at left and note boom at right. Why? Well, I mean, it seems like right guard is is a good place to learn to, to cut your teeth, so to speak. Uh, if you have a left tackle of the future, you could plant him at left guard, right guard, just to give him some reps so he get used he gets used to the speed of the game. So when you move him out to left tackle where he's going to play for the rest of his life, he's ready to go. So if you wanted to keep some continuity on that left side, and you're going to have two rookies or two first-year guys starting. For, yeah, first-year starters. First-year starters players, at center yes. and guard. You might want to flop one to right guard. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. If your center is going to be a first-year guy, chances are you want to make that left guard a little more experienced because that's where they put their best pass rushers, if that makes sense. Yeah, on the interior. On yes. the interior, yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody wants to go to that side to get to Jared Goff. So you want to make sure that side is locked down, at least communication-wise. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised. Like Jamon Brown, remember that happened? A couple of years ago, we thought Jamal was going to start here, and then he started over here at right guard, and they flopped him all of a sudden. Yes, and then they put him at left right before the season started. That was back in, like, 15, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you started flopped or you started to see Blythe going left a few times just to see how it looks. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's what you have the off-season program for. You can work those kinds of things out. I mean, in 17 in the off-season program, if you remember, like, they tried Rob Havenstein at right guard. Right. Remember that? Yeah. That was kind of weird. Cross-train everybody. Yes. Yeah. And Just just to make sure that message gets sent out from center all the way out to left and right tackle. And the message that's coming back as in, no, I can't. Make sure that gets back to the center before you snap the football. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So if you can control that, if you can maybe make it easier by putting your your more experienced guard to the left side, it could help you offensively. That's interesting. I mean, it's not something that I would have thought of. Um, I mean, but it, even Austin Blythe is a season in of experience, right, as a full-time starter. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to have a more inexperienced offensive line no matter what. I mean, your experience right now is at the tackles mm-hmm. with Whitworth, with you know, because he's been in the league for 100 years, and then Rob Havenstein going into his sixth season, excuse me, fifth season. Mm-hmm. So that is where your experience is, and then you're going to have to figure it out on the interior. Right. Now, I, I think that with Aaron Cromer as your offensive line coach, you have an advantage there, especially because it's not like these guys are in their first year with the team. No, and this is an, it's an offensive line-friendly offense. You know, I mean, you could watch, like, four games of Andrew Whitworth, and it's just not as physical in the phone booth like you think offensive line would be. Like, his most physical play sometimes on drives might be the PAT. Mm. For the most part, he's running to, 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 to spots. You know, he's cutting people off. Uh, every now and then on a third and short, fourth and inches, you got to root somebody out. But for the most part, I mean, the offense is moving around quite a bit, right? Right. You saw it when you lost Whitworth against, was it San Francisco? For the, the late, yes, the, week 17, yes. Week 17, and Note Boone comes in, and you score on the same drive. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you throw a screen to that side. So it's very offensive line friendly. As long as you're athletic, I think you'll be okay. But if you look at Noteboom, this is going back to right. The dude's lower body is stout. Mm-hmm. You, you can handle being a right side mauler if you need him to be. You know what I mean? And yes. he's young enough to do it. So um, I, I think no matter what, if you lose some experience, if you lose some age, if you lose some games played, I still think you'll be a pretty good functioning offense just by virtue of the offense, what kind of offense you're running. Yes, yes, no doubt about it. Um, Are there any other moves that you feel like the Rams should be making right now in the free agency period? Um, We're still in the first wave. but Well, okay, so so now you got Suggs and and Chandler Jones in Arizona. I still feel confident and comfortable with Witt and Havenstein. Okay, D4 is now in San Francisco. How do I feel now? Um, And what's the other... The tall guy they have in the middle. I can't Armstead. remember his name. Armstead? Not Armstead. The other one. The one that ripped uh, it. DeForest Buckner. DeFor- they have Buckner, and now they have D. Ford. Okay, Buckner is still a problem, but I still feel comfortable against Ford. You know okay. what I mean? So yeah. what's everyone doing around you to catch you? I still think you're out in front with the guys you have here and the guys you're keeping and the guy you brought in in Weddle. I still think you're okay there. Now, I can't wait to see what you bring as far as depth in the draft mm-hmm. or what's left to do. Uh, but it seems like the right guys are remaining with the football team, which is a good thing. Yes, yeah. yes, I would agree with that. Um, around the league, though, man, some of these moves are kind of nuts. 
You know, with Antonio Brown now going to the Raiders, you've got Odell Beckham Jr. going to the Browns. I mean, I can't tell you how surprised I am sort of by both of those things. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see, I mean, from the perspective of somebody that grew up in Cleveland. I mean, we were watching this before we came in here to the studio. That guy in Shaker Heights (laughs) who's running around and gets the cops called on him. That's funny. That's my hometown. Like, that is hilarious that... That happened there, like in a place that really is sort of a few blocks from where I grew up. Um, But the league right now is so interesting because you're seeing, especially with this movement from wide receivers, teams that have young quarterbacks, especially, you know, they want to load up and they want to be able to say, all right, we're competing now while we can still do all these things. Like you look at the Browns and they're bringing guys like Sheldon Richardson. They're trading for Olivier Vernon. They're trading for Odell Beckham Jr. They're setting themselves up to make a run with the young quarterback who's on the rookie contract. And it's very similar to the setup that you see here in Los Angeles. I I think that's your your window now. Yeah. Before you pay your quarterback to go all in, which it seems funny. You're going to have to change that. What do you mean? You can't because eventually you're going to have to pay your quarterback. Yeah. If you win, if you go all like Cleveland, if they go all in and it turns out to be right and they're on the doorstep of a Super Bowl or win one when Baker Mayfield's on his rookie contract, well, eventually he's not going to be on that contract and you're not going to have that same team. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I don't think that's sustainable unless you keep the cost of your quarterback down. As in... The next three years, Baker Mayfield makes the Pro Bowl or is three-time All-Pro and you've won a Super Bowl. How can you keep the cost down? I mean, that's the isn't that the same question that the Rams are going to have to answer? Pretty much. Yeah. League-wide, everybody. But I think as the salary cap continues to go up, which it will, I mean, there's no reason for it to not. It's basically gone up every year over the last you know, 10, 15 years, basically, with the exceptions of a couple years. But as that continues to happen, and yes, quarterback salaries are going to continue to go up, but you have room in a lot of ways to still compete if, you, if you're good at drafting, right? You have to be able to draft and still develop your players because otherwise it's not going to work. Right. But I, I think that, you know, say we talk about the Los Angeles Rams, right? If guys like Noteboom and Allen can step into starting roles this year. If you have guys like Sebastian Joseph Day, John Franklin Myers, who can continue to grow grow into starting roles, that's how you still compete. You have to use the draft, and you have to be able to draft very, very well in order to make sure your your cabinet is still full. Well, yeah, starting with that quarterback. That right. young guy that's cheap also has to be very, very good. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? Yes, no, I mean, yeah, but no. It's hard. But yeah. if, you don't, if you don't get the quarterback right and you're yeah. a GM, then you're, you're you know, getting fired, right? You're like, Miami. We know that. Yeah, yeah. You're, yes. you're, you're starting over again. Yes. Uh, every four or five years, you're going to be starting over again. Um, and, like, your whole team's going to be different. But it, it just seems like teams going all in when your quarterback's on a rookie deal, that's going to have to change at some point. I don't know how. Maybe you separate the quarterback, con- the quarterback's contract from the salary cap. I don't sure. know. Count them in a different way. Right. But it always seems to end, like, if you get better, if Cleveland gets better and grows, as the Rams get better and grow, eventually most of the money is going towards your quarterback, which means it's going to cost you players, like Seattle. Uh, yeah, that's exactly the team that I was going to bring. Just like Seattle. And then you're you're going back to the bottom or – you're going to have to find a way to keep competing with that and hope you become New England. Right. You know what I mean? But, it's but that's all, few and far between. It is, it is, but it's all about building a program and trying to sustain a program. I mean, think about Seattle's still not at a losing season with Russell Wilson in there, right? Right. So you can, I mean, you can say, and they made it to the tournament. They won a playoff game. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. Excuse me. They lost that playoff game to Dallas. But they made it to the tournament, and they were able to compete in a playoff game that conceivably they could have won, is what I should have said. Yeah. So I think that there is still room to be able to do that, even if, you know, you're loading up on the, the quarterback's rookie deal, that if you have the right quarterback, it's, it's the way to do it. I mean, it almost worked in a Super Bowl championship for the Los Angeles Rams last year. That's True. why I think you're seeing more teams mimic and emulate it. I, You know, just like Sam Bradford was the last guy, the last rookie to get the big deal. Yes. And then everything changed. Yes. So if this is the new model, go all in while your quarterback is cheap, then things are going to have to change. Maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe. Then why pay the quarterback big money? What do you mean? Why? Not? Because he's the most important position in sports. Okay, when I can draft another one, 
and go another four years oh. on the cheap and load up around him. You'd have to be really bold to do that because you don't know if you're going to make the right pick. You, but, ne- you need a year to know if you made the right pick at quarterback. Sometimes true. two. What if I have a special team and an average quarterback? I still think I'm pretty good in the NFL. Versus having a great quarterback and a less than average football team. You know what happens I, with that? That guy winds up in Denver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. I mean, it, it just it really makes you like, just hold up a minute. If I pay this one guy X amount, my team is going to be less than. Not necessarily. Okay, well, ask Detroit how they feel. Well, Detroit's not been picking the right players. Okay, well, it all comes back to that. That's you what pick, I'm saying. You've got to pick the right players. If you pick yes. the right guys or you can pay guys to come in. Yes. Because you're not paying one guy all the money. Okay. Yeah. See but, what I mean? you, but you still have to, like I said, you have to pick. The right. right. No matter what, you still have right. to pick the right guys. All right, one kind of funny story before we get out of here. And so I've been out of town a lot in the last few weeks, um, you know, first Death Valley, then the Combine. And then last week I was um, in Cleveland for a couple of days uh, to do an alumni event at my high school called it Alumni Give Back Day. And, you know, I got to teach a class to, uh, I think, 40 students, 20 students in each class. Um, So, yeah, it was awesome, you know, talking about sports journalism in the 21st century. I have to be multiple, doing different things. It was great. But so I get home and... I had sort of been not really checking my email or phone calls, whatever, but I had gotten a message about, like, there's a random package that had been delivered to me, and, um, like, you know, it was from somebody else, for somebody else in the apartment complex, just please take it to the office, and I got an email about it, and I was like, I'll deal with this when I get back, I'm only going to be gone for a couple of days. So I get home, right, and there's a note on my door, and then there's a note under my door, and I'm like, what is going on here? And it's from this guy, and he says, you know, I, there's... Uh, I read the first note and it's handwritten and it says, oh, my package was delivered to you. If you could just give it to me, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, whatever. So I open the second one and it's typed out, right? And it's like, this package is mine. You need to give it back. And if you don't, I'm going to take any action that will include calling the authorities. I'm like, what is the, like, dude, it's a little package. Like, it's not that serious. And so he's just like, I'm sure that this could be solved by just a simple phone call. Like, it's been a couple days. Like, I'm sorry I've been out of town. So I call the number because I'm like, I really don't want the cops called on me. I mean, you know why. So I, I call him, right? And he's like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm here. I'm, like, driving in, blah, 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 blah. So as it turns out, right, he comes up to my apartment, and he's wearing a Patriots tie. And you know what the package was? No. It was a Super Bowl 53 Patriots sh- polo. You should have burned champions. it. <laughs> you should have burned it. I know. I was like, dude, I really didn't want this. Oh, wow. Guy doesn't know what I do for a living. So. Wow. And I doubt there's any way he oh, will listen to this podcast. That's hilarious. So, yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I received a Patriots Super Bowl 53 champions. I'm like, champions. what is in this thing that you needed so bad? Okay, it makes yes. sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Patriots tie needed He's got some polo. gloating to do. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Any other parting shots? No, that's it. Um, this is fun. I'm glad the league year started. So we said Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this edition of Between the Horns. And for all your free agency news, be sure to keep it locked on therams.com.